South of the Six podcast, bringing you the latest on your favorite Toronto sports teams from south of the Canadian border. Here's your host, Adam Corsair. All right, so don't look now, but it looks like the team is, fingers crossed, starting to get a little bit healthier. Welcome to the South of the Six podcast, where you're part of the TV network, and we are part of the Overtime Media crew. And here we go. There's a new year. We got players coming back that are maybe getting healthy. Maybe not. We'll see. Maybe Norman Powell's coming back. Maybe not this weekend. Keep your fingers crossed. But joining me to talk all things Toronto Raptors is Hunter Serpilis, host of the Raptors Rapture podcast over at RaptorsRapture.com. Hunter, what's going on, man? I'm doing all right, dude. Yeah. Uh, called called my first, uh, did like play-by-play for the first time last night for my, uh, my school's volleyball. And uh, fun fact, it's really hard to call a sport that you know nothing about. Wait, Don't wait, recommend wait. it. <laughs> you called the volleyball game? This is legit? Yeah, yeah, legit, play-by-play. Play. Oh my god, all right, so how fast-paced is that action? Because I can imagine um, it's pretty It's pretty difficult to it, get everything. Yeah, like, it is it is really fast-paced, and like it is kind of tough to get everything that's happening all at once. But, you know, y- you try your best. You try your best, and it was my first time ever doing like play-by-play or anything like that. So it's a. Uh, <laughs> if anyone watched, I'm sure they could tell that it was my first time. Wait a minute, this is on TV. This happened. Uh, like it's. I don't know if it's on TV necessarily, but like the Ontario University stuff, like they they have it online and stuff like that. So yeah, people are watching it. So it was at least maybe. streamed. Yeah, yeah, like we produce it and everything from uh from the school's like gym or whatever that's dope that's awesome thank you yeah well uh if if anybody wants to uh dig through the internet and try to find that it's probably archived (laughs) somewhere it's got to be archived somewhere it's got to be yeah Um, you can keep that in your portfolio and keep that in your back pocket and you never know maybe people are gonna be like this guy fucking knows his volleyball (laughs) i'll tell you right now that is not what people are gonna be saying (laughs) You never know though. You never know. You might be you might have you might have caught your niche right there. But um Yeah, as I mentioned at the top of the show, dude, Raptors are maybe getting healthy. Maybe Norman Powell's coming back. Maybe this is like a New Year's resolution for the team is to get healthy. And I gotta tell you, that might be uh you know, I know it's cliche to put health in as a New Year's resolution, but for the Toronto Raptors, you kinda would like to see that, would you not? Oh, absolutely. And I think having the like the weirdness of the schedule last week, only playing the two games, but both being back to back is like yeah. very helpful for the team. They probably threw in a couple of practices and able to get a little bit of light work there for like Powell and maybe Gasol and Siakam said that he was going to be coming back for practice sometime this weekend, maybe. So I think they benefited from the schedule this week quite a bit. Yeah, you know, I think that um, hopefully with this time off, uh, I think it was four days off, right? Because the last time they played was Wednesday, I want to say. Yeah. All right, we're recording this Saturday afternoon. So uh, with that time off, and they don't have a game today, they have a game tomorrow, which we'll get to later. Um, this, you know, break between the action is probably good for them and, you know, to get healthy and to rest up. And because these injuries have been a, a fucking killer for this team, like Fred going down unexpectedly with a hamstring injury and, you know, we know how long that's kept Marcus all out of action, and, you know, he's still out. But Siakam's starting to practice. As we mentioned, Norman Powell looks like he's probably going to be good to go for the game against San Antonio. 
uh, things are starting to look up. And given these this plethora of injuries, the fact that they're 25 and 13 and sitting fourth in the Eastern Conference, you've got to be encouraged by that. Yeah, and if you think about it, like they've only really had like two or three games where the whole team has been fully healthy. Right. And that's and you know, if you look at that and you look at where they are in the conference and how tough their schedule actually has been thus far, I'm super impressed with how this team's gone. If you told me at the beginning of the year that both Lowry and Siakam were gonna miss, you know, about ten games apiece at uh, different times, I thought this team would basically be become sellers by the trade deadline and maybe a bubble playoff team kind of thing. Yeah. But that's obviously not the case. Yeah, you don't want to be in that purgatory of kind of, you know, in the playoffs at six and seven or even eight and then or not at all around that seed. You either want to finish at the top or you want to finish at the very bottom to get the draft pick. But yeah, this is um this is this is crazy. And I don't know if it speaks more to the state of the Eastern Conference or to the state of the Toronto Raptors. And I'm, I'm leaning towards the latter because, you know, when these injuries started to, to take fold during that West Coast swing, they held their own. They, they more than kept their head above water. So maybe it uh, speaks a little bit more to the determination and to the grit that this team has developed as a result of the championship pedigree uh, more than the state of the teams that they're playing being uh, less than uh, good, I guess you can say. Would you agree? Yeah, I agree. But then again, they've also had the tough schedule and they haven't played well against the teams at the top of the Eastern Conference, right. but they're doing what they need to do against the bad teams, which is win games. And, you know, the games that you need to win are the games that uh, that you should be winning. So like having them maybe having a bit of a weak schedule when the injuries come through, when Pascal Siakam has been gone, not so much when Kyle Lowry was out, but when Pascal Siakam go- is gone and your number one offensive threat and you know really good defensive players in Marcus All and, and Norm Powell are gone as well like having a light schedule is very beneficial to a team like this yeah and the schedule definitely seems to be easing up a bit at least through the month the rest of the month of January mm-hmm. it seems to be pretty good the only you know cloud that you're looking at here would be against Philadelphia but given the fact that Joel Embiid's probably going to miss a substantial amount of time uh, that matchup doesn't seem that dire. So when you look at the remaining month of January, and given the state that the Raptors are in, this is the time to sort of flourish, right? This is the time to sort of take advantage of, I don't want to say a weak schedule, but definitely a favorable one for them. And to uh, to rack up some wins and to keep your head above water, because, you know, not just January, you look at the remaining schedule, period, uh, it's not nearly as dire as the first two and a half months of the season. Yeah, like I'm looking at the schedule right now and you mentioned that Sixers game, but without Embiid, it's a totally different team and they've been struggling with their offense on their own front uh, without having any injuries. And the next real like tough game, I guess you could say if you want to throw the Pacers in there is February 23rd and then February 25th, they play against the Bucks. But outside of that, you're, you know, the next thing that, or I guess the Pacers on the fifth as well. Sorry. Um, But like other than that, you're facing the Wizards of the world, the Timberwolves, the Hawks, the Knicks a couple times, the Hawks a couple times again there, like the the Bulls. It's going to be a pretty easy road right here. So it'll be nice to see, you know, the Siakams and the Gasols and the Powells, whenever they come back in, come in and be able to figure things out against, you know, not the cream of the crop in the Eastern Conference. Yeah, right. And we're recording this, you know, almost mid-January. We're talking about games that are happening late February. Right, that we're sort yeah. of worried about. Like that to me, that's cruising. Like we're on cruise control right here. And 
you know, want to talk about the the near term, maybe the game in OKC, which we'll kind of touch on later, that seems to be something that you want to circle, be like, oh, that might be a challenge. But I don't consider that to be, like, something that I don't think the Raptors can win, right? You mentioned Milwaukee, and you're probably like, all right, like, that's going to be a tough matchup. And you walk into that, and if the Raptors lose, you're kind of thinking, all right, well, it was against Milwaukee. Like, Milwaukee's a difficult team. But you walk into the game against OKC, and that's probably the most difficult matchup that they have for the remainder of January. You can't ask for anything more. And even if they drop that game, they should walk out of January with a winning record in that month. Yeah, you'd you'd like to think that they they'll be able to come out of this one unscathed really this month and and look up and try to find that a ram get closer to that second uh second seed in the east there because you know being anywhere from 3 to 6 in the east compared to the second seed is definitely going to have a much tougher first round matchup than you know playing the seventh seed which would now be the Orlando Magic rather than either the Pacers or the Sixers who are kind of that tier above the seven and eight seed before we get into the the Raptors talk I do want to touch on this this um Embiid injury that I sort of you know we sort of glossed over it but um this is pretty big right and I, I know that it's not to the point where maybe the Sixers are going to fall out of playoff contention. I don't believe that at all, but it definitely, I think, kind of removes them from the top three conversation, at least for now. Right? I don't know what the long-term ramification of this injury is going to be. They said they're going to revisit it in two weeks, so that does not mean he's coming back in two weeks. They're just going to reevaluate his status in two weeks. So this could be like kind of a month, month-and-a-half long injury, if not longer. Um, does this change the landscape for you of the Eastern Conference? Is like, does this solidify maybe as things stand right now? You know, excluding trade talk and whatnot. Does this make uh, Milwaukee sort of fundamentally the number one seed, and the rest is a toss up as the number two? Because there is a sense that if the Raptors get healthy, right, and Embiid is falling out of it. There's a possibility, and I don't want to get too ahead of myself, but there is a possibility that, hey, maybe the Raptors could finish second in the Eastern Conference, depending on how dire this injury is for Embiid. Yeah, I think the Bucks are, like, far and away the best team in the Eastern Conference, as, as a regular season team at least. I mean, like, Giannis is just doing things that most players in the NBA haven't done ever, really, right. if you look back at the whole history of the league. But, you know, I think Miami is outperforming their weight class and kind of hitting above what they really should be doing. They'll probably come back down to earth. They've benefited from a relatively easy schedule. Boston, um, I you know, despite being my least favorite team in the NBA, I have <laughs> very few bad things to say about the Celtics thus far this season just because... Everything that we expected from them last year with Kyrie Irving, they've been doing this year with Kemba Walker. And obviously mm. Kemba Walker is not Kyrie Irving. He doesn't have the star power. He doesn't have the playoff success. You can go down the list of things that Kyrie Irving is better at than Kemba Walker. But the one thing that Kemba's better than him at is getting his teammates involved and uh, buying into a system that Brad Stevens has kind of made for them. So I think a toss-up between the Celtics and a healthy Raptors is is there and obviously if the heat continue this uh this climb that they've had so far going 27 and 11 through their almost 40 games through the season you know it's i think between those three teams is really a a, a big toss up i guess for that second seed and the sixers have just struggled a lot but even though they've been struggling you know maybe they can get things together without Embiid because the lane's not going to be as clogged for Ben Simmons. Al Horford's going to be able to get involved a little bit more. Tobias Harris is going to get a bigger role. And I think they're probably going to 
benefit from him not being in, which is as weird as it sounds because Embiid is, if not the most talented big man in the NBA, one of the most talented players in the NBA. And then, I mean, the Pacers have been there. So when Oladipo comes back, I, I think you can't really count them out either. So the toss-up for the second seed can go just about any way. And if one team has a four-game losing streak or one team has a five- or six-game winning streak, then they can find themselves in that second seed very easily. Yeah. Yeah, and I bring this up because, you know, you mentioned Depot for the for the Pacers. I think that's going to be huge, right? And I don't want to discount them at all. I think they're going to make some noise. And there's sort of this groundswell when it comes to the Indiana Pacers that, you know, they're sort of out of sight, out of mind, because when people think of the top tier of the Eastern Conference, they think of the Bucs, they think of the Raptors, they think of the Celtics, they think of the Sixers. But that's going to change, right? And the Heat have, you know, sort of been, I don't want to say under the radar, but no one expected them to be this good. And I think that's pretty much what you were alluding to. Um, they might come back down to earth. And even if they don't, right, and if, if the Raptors and Celtics are fighting it out, that's three teams right there that can realistically finish in second place. And even if the Raptors don't, right, even if the Celtics are legit and they stay this way and they and they maintain their pace and they finish the second seed, it's a battle for third, right, between the Heat and the Raptors, and you could throw the Pacers in there too. I like the Sixers, and I thought they were going to be much better than they performed uh, walking into the season. And that's not to say that they were – they're playing bad they're certainly not they're still having above way above 500 record um but for me there's just a lack of shooting there a lack of reliable shooting there and i think that's going to come back to bite them especially with joel Embiid uh not seeing any action for however long of a time he's out um i i think that this is a, a pretty good situation for the raptors to be in and this you know harps back to the ease of schedule you talked about like a four or five game win streak when you look at the Raptors' schedule coming up that's certainly possible Right, that's definitely certainly possible for them to achieve and to sort of uh, circumvent this, the navigation of them going to second place. And I don't know how long they're going to hold on to that. But if they're in a position where they're in second place heading into the trade deadline, things can get very interesting for this team. Yeah, and you know, you mentioned the the Raptors' like strength of schedule kind of thing. I'm looking at power rankings guru, and so far they've had the tenth hardest schedule in the league and pretty much the only guys above them in in that are the worst teams in the league the the pelicans the hawks Cavs, uh warriors knicks kind of those teams are are all above them and going forward for the remainder of their schedule it says that they have the easiest schedule uh in the league so like they are kind of in a really good position to rattle off maybe eight out of 10 multiple different times and and maybe you know 10 of 12 or something like that going forward and that'll be very beneficial to them finding that second seed or even maybe getting in the into that third seed and maybe getting a, a better matchup than if they were four or five yeah you know to put a pin on that converse on this conversation so we can move on to raptor stuff um you know having said that you know this sort of harps back to the beginning of the conversation is that you have all these injuries Right, and this team has been frustrating on that part, but they're still keeping their head above water. And you just said the tenth toughest schedule in the NBA, right? And I don't know if, what that would be for the Eastern Conference, but if you look at, I, maybe we'll just divvy it up and say the fifth hardest in the Eastern Conference. I don't know what other teams are on that list in the top ten, but um, if you look at how they've been performing and they're able to maintain this pace with a very unhealthy team, once they get into full health and once then having the easiest schedule. Anything is possible, right? And I'm not saying they're going to jump out and first and, you know, be world beaters and, you know, take over the Eastern Conference. I'm not necessarily there yet, but going back to finishing in second is very possible, especially given the strength of schedule. So that is very encouraging because you want these injuries to happen in the beginning of the year 
uh, in comparison to the end of the year heading into playoffs. And on top of that, you want these injuries to happen when the schedule is the hardest. And so when they're, when they're healthy, when the schedule is nice and easy, oh man, anything could happen. Yeah, and I think like when these guys come back, and the addition of Pascal Siakam could be, obviously, you know, he hasn't been out the whole season. That's kind of usually when you say this type of stuff. But Pascal Siakam coming back might be the biggest addition that an Eastern Conference team has you know, come the trade deadline, which obviously is is a huge thing for the Toronto Raptors. All right, well, let's uh, let's stop right there. Let's take a quick break. We'll be right back, and we'll talk about some trade talk when we come back from the break. Hang tight. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. All right, let's just dump right into it, right? And there was this, we're approaching February, so obviously trade talk is going to come up. You just had an episode on Raptors Raptor talking about trades galore. It's time to heat up the trade machine. Uh, let's talk about something that's been, this is not necessarily a trade, but something that the Raptors might want to keep in mind going into the offseason, right? And so this all sort of ties together. Um, so according to James Edward III, this coming offseason, the Detroit Pistons will make a run at free agent Fred Van Vliet. Um, it's important to note that the Raptors hold Fred's birds, right? So they can exceed the cap to retain them, but this will obviously come at the risk of cap space for the 2021 class, you know, the Giannis class that the Raptors are keeping the books open for. So chop it up. First of all, you know, despite trade talk, despite free agency, as a rumor, how much credibility do you give this rumor that Detroit is going to make a run at Freddie? And on a second hand, how much of a priority do you think it is for the Raptors to keep Freddie around? I ask that in terms of the trade talk, because if it's not that much of a priority, maybe it's in their best interest to to make some moves at the deadline. But I can't really see that. I can't see them moving him at the deadline for for really anything. So what do you think about all this? Yeah, like in terms of the rumor credibility, like I don't know why anyone would think that this isn't legit. Like, why would a team who has been known to not have a point guard over the past few years not be interested in getting a point guard who's going to be on the market? I don't think Detroit is necessarily a huge free agent destination. They're not going to get the best point guards in the league. They're not going to get the Giannis's of the world. It's just not going to happen. And, you know, the only way that they might be able to do that is maybe not even a, not a first tier guy, not a second tier guy. And I don't even know if you'll throw Fred Van Fleet in, in a third tier in terms of talent in the NBA, but you got to go for the guys that are, are good and they're solid, but they're not going to be the reason that, that you're going to be winning games. And in terms of, if I'm concerned about, you know, Fred Van Fleet actually going to Detroit, I think there's a lot of things that will go through his mind and for the decision to be made, you know, a, like I said, it's Detroit compared to Toronto B when Blake Griffin's healthy, assuming that they don't move him, he's going to be the second fiddle no matter what. If if Blake Griffin's healthy, and if Blake Griffin isn't healthy, he's going to be alone. It's basically going to be Fred Van Fleet. You can send all five guys at him and figure out the rest defensively. And see, you know, if they do get rid of Blake and they do get rid of Drummond, then he just made a poor decision and he's going to be playing on a rat team for the however long his contract is. So, like, in terms of th- should the Raptors be worried, should Raptors fans be worried, like, no, I don't think so about Detroit. And if he does end up going to Detroit, it'll be purely out of like financial reasons, I think. Yeah, I think there are better destinations. If you're looking to win, there are better destinations in the NBA than Detroit, right? And within the article, uh, James Edward III also mentioned that this would signify a rebuild for the Pistons. And I'm not sure that Freddie wants to be part of a rebuild. I'm not sure he's at that point in his career that he's sort of like, I'll take the financial stability and go for a rebuilding team coming off of a championship caliber team 
right? The we just mentioned it. The Raptors are destined for a playoff run, right? Why would you leave a playoff team to go for a rebuilding team other than money? And I'm not sure that maybe it is. Maybe that's a huge priority. The dude has two kids. We know this. He's married. Maybe he does want the financial stability. I'm not knocking on a player for doing that. But I also see this grit and determination in Fred Van Vliet that he wants to win. So in terms of, I think you're right. I think, yes, it's sort of obvious that the Detroit Pistons would go after a guy like Freddie. Um, I do think that the whole relationship with Casey aspect of it is a little over-embellished. I think they're just looking for dots to connect. I'm not sure that that is really relevant here. But when it comes to the, the attractiveness of the destination, I don't really see that. I, I don't see Detroit being something that the Raptors and the Raptors fans really need to fear as a destination for Fred to be compelled to go to. But on the flip side, you know, we talk about trades, we talk about cap flexibility. This is going to muddy the waters a little bit, right, for that 2021 class because the Raptors have a serious decision to make. If they're going to maintain, like, the bird rights and go over the cap to keep him, how much do you think that's going to be a detriment to them in their pursuits of, say, Giannis in 2021? Well, I think it's going to really depend on what they do. Maybe not so much with Fred Van Fleet, but a guy like Kyle Lowry, if they are going to look at keeping him down the road and maybe they look to move him come this trade deadline or, or the offseason, knowing that they're going to probably have to give up 20-something 30 something million dollars once again for a Kyle Lowry. And you don't know if that's going to inhibit it. Um, obviously I don't think Fred Van Fleet should be getting as much as a Kyle Lowry does. But then again, Kyle Lowry's declining and in, in talent with his age and all that kind of stuff. It's just, it's a whole, it's a whole different story. And, and Marcus Gasol, same thing with him. Uh, you got to figure out what you're going to do with him. Serge Ibaka. Um, it, there's a lot of guys that you kind of have to look at and see, are we going to, go for are we going to go for you or are we going to try to be a player in the 2021 free agency with a guy like Giannis Antetokounmpo or or whoever they're going to be looking to go at because you know they don't have a lot of money still on the books in that 2021-22 season there's basically Norman Powell, Pascal Siakam who you're going to do no matter you're going to keep on the team no matter what and then you've got Matt Thomas and Duan Hernandez who are on their rookie contracts or I guess the mid-level exception, whatever uh, whatever they want to call that because they weren't technically uh, drafted. Right. So, like, yes, it's kind of concerning, but you also have a whole lot of time to figure out what you're going to do and, and how you're going to play it. And, and if they can somehow get Marcus Hall on a really, really team-friendly deal, who knows if he's even going to be in the league by 2021. But if they can get a guy like Gasol on a team-friendly deal, Serge Ibaka on a team-friendly deal, Van, you will be able to pay Van Fleet the 25 million that he's probably going to be looking for come free agency. So chop this up. How much do you think that players like Gasol and Abaka are in the loop when it comes to this? Or even Fred Van Vliet. In other words, like it wouldn't surprise me at all if, you know, and I don't necessarily know that this is tampering. Maybe it is, maybe it's not, but obviously these behind closed doors, I'm willing to believe that these things happen more often than people want to admit. Um, what do you think the chances are that Masai is like, Look, Mark, look, Ibaka, look, Fred. Uh, the goal is, you know, not to say that he's more important than you, but like obviously he's a, a game changer for this team come 2021. If we can have the cap flexibility to get a Giannis and Tentacumpo, how about like you guys just re up for a one year deal? Just re up for one year so we have that cap flexibility. Um, I'll, 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 
at that point, maybe you can sort of go over the cap to make it a little bit more attractive for them on a one-year deal. That could also be Marcus Gasol's last year. I don't know. But, like, maybe they're in the loop to this point that they can be like, let's just settle up for 2020-2021 season. Come the 2021-2022 season, we have that cap flexibility. Let's try to get one of these these uh, game-changing players on the team, and then we'll figure the rest out later. Do you think that is out of the realm of possibility right now? No, I definitely think that's possible. The only thing with that is you're probably going to have to give them a, a, a kind of a lump sum of money that they probably wouldn't get elsewhere. So right. you know, you're thinking probably closer to 25 million for both guys, and and that's a tough that's a tough team to build with Marcus and Serge Ibaka, both over 30 years old, and obviously Kyle Lowry over 30 years old, making that kind of money um, as to go along with Pascal Siakam's. Uh, signing finally kicking in and then Norm Powell still got $10 million that he's earning. So I don't think that it's impossible to do. And I think that guys like Fred Van Fleet, who kind of were their whole career started in Toronto and, and started because they took a chance on an undrafted player and gave him a contract that he wanted to bet on himself for, you know, he probably might he, you know, he might be willing to do that one year and maybe up his value even more come the off season and see if he can get, I don't know, a max contract after the 2021 season. If Kyle Lowry's role declines and Fred Van Fleet's goes up, they, I don't know, however, if they're big enough parts of the team. Serge Ibaka and Marcus All aren't Kyle Lowry. Right. Serge Ibaka and Marcus All aren't Pascal Siakam, who this team is going to build around. And I think if you look at it, they're probably only going to be going for, they're only going to look at those two guys. And even then, I don't know if they're going to talk to Kyle Lowry and say, hey, man, we're looking to bring in Giannis Antetokounmpo. Everybody knows that. If Giannis is available and Giannis wants to come to Toronto, you'll do anything except maybe get rid of Pascal Siakam to bring him to the team. But even then, you probably, if he's like, yeah, I just don't want to play beside Pascal, you're going to find a way to get Pascal out of your team. <laughs> Could you imagine? Could you that'd imagine? Be oh. That would be horrible. Oh, my God. That would be brutal. But, oh, but for real, if, if Giannis is like, there's one player in the whole NBA I don't want to play with, and it's Pascal Siakam, <laughs> what, do you, what are you going to do? You're going to trade Pascal Siakam in the blink of an eye. You have to. I mean, yes. You and, have to. And that's... <laughs> I can't imagine. I know you're you're speaking in hypotheticals, but I'm just fucking imagine. Um, all right. Well, the reason why I want to bring this up to trade talk is how does this affect this year's trade deadline, right? So I know like the hot topic was Andre Drummond, and we you know touched on that last week. And I don't personally see a reason for Andre Drummond to come to this team because it's going to take someone like moving on from Ibaka and Gasol. Both of those players, all three of those players, are on one year deals. It seems likely that Drummond's not going to opt into his player option is going to explore free agency to get a bigger bag. So at that point, like just keep them all like, just keep Ibaka, keep pass. Um, sorry, Marcus all because there's, they're all on one year deal. So why you like muddy the waters in that aspect? Um, does this change the narrative though for Fred Van Vliet and Kyle Lowry status? Because look, I know we're in this situation where Kyle Lowry's playing just kind of outstanding. Like he's putting up Lowry esque numbers from the past. Um, he's definitely the guy that's carrying the team. You saw that with, the Hornets game, like they were double teaming. I'm like, he's the guy right now on the team, especially with Freddie injured. Um, but to create that cap flexibility to maybe and hopefully maintain a Fred Van Vliet and to keep the books open or relatively open for the 2021 class, do you see any noise being made for uh, this year's deadline that's going to like not create controversy, but keep those books open for the future years? I don't know, just because 
we haven't seen this team fully healthy and Masai Ujiri seems like the type of guy who, despite wanting to blow everything up in his first few seasons and basically up until now with the Toronto Raptors, like I don't think that you can move on from any of the key pieces just because this team has been playing so well when they haven't been healthy. You just have to look at how good they can be when they when everyone is back and when they're fully healthy and see what their potential is. And I don't know if you're going to be able to get enough of a sample size when everybody is back and healthy to know whether or not you're going to need to make a a big move for this year or if you're going to if a big move is even necessary and you know if you hear rumblings like Fred Van Fleet is definitely not going to stay in Toronto after this year then yeah you you should trade him or Kyle Lowry isn't happy because Fred Van Fleet's contract extension might hamper the team whatever happens there like barring any of that stuff happening I would kind of be shocked if a big move is made surrounding any of these guys. And like you said, the like the expiring contracts are huge for this team. And you're looking to 21, uh, sorry, 20, yeah, like the 21 offseason, like they have about 50 million in cap space for right now. Hmm. And I'd be shocked if they dip into any of that to like to get someone else to make a playoff push or a, a finals push this season. Right, and it doesn't seem likely. I think I think you know, agreeing with you here, it doesn't seem likely that they're going to make a huge amount of noise at the trade deadline. We talked about this last weekend. I I don't think that, you know, given the circumstances, given the fact that we haven't seen this team really fully healthy, I think it was like a total of 175 minutes that they played fully healthy, which is nothing. Um, given the fact that we haven't seen this team fully healthy in a large enough scale, uh, I think that the the recovery of a Norman Powell and a Pascal Siakam and a Marcus Gasol and a Fred Van Vliet, whenever they're all fully healthy, you can view those as additions at the trade deadline. And like, you know, harping to Blue Jays talk, like that pisses me off till no end <laughs> when like Blue Jays are like, oh, let's go at, like Blue Jays fans rather, are like, oh, let's go after this guy at the trade deadline. And then you hear Wil- Wilner being like, well, you know, when this guy gets healthy, it's kind of like a trade deadline acquisition. I'm like, no, shut up with that. Like, <laughs> I, I don't want to be that guy for the Raptors, but at the same time, it's kind of true. Like getting these guys fully healthy on this team, as we mentioned at the jump of the show, could be a game changer and could accelerate them a little bit in the standings. Um, so I don't see any noise happening this trade deadline, but in the off season, honestly, it really wouldn't surprise me if like, you know, given the fact that a is going to be off the books, assuming that they don't resign them, same with Gasol, I don't know what's going to happen with them, but it really wouldn't shock me. And I'm not advocating for this necessarily, but it wouldn't shock me in order to make room to have Fred Van Vliet and to have the books open for the 2021 off season. If they do move on from Kyle Lowry, I'm not saying I want it. I'm not saying it's definitely going to happen. It just wouldn't shock me if it did. Yeah, I uh, in I did me and Lior on the pot the Raptors Rapture podcast yeah. uh, last week. We kind of talked about that, and I I did my bold predictions for uh, 2020, and one of them was that Kyle Lowry is going to be traded by the end of the by the end of you know December 31st. I think mm. he'll be. I think he'll they'll probably move on from him just because. You know he's good enough to demand a really big contract, and he had there's a market for really good point guards in the NBA, and you know you can probably get a lot from a guy like Kyle Lowry who has that one year left on his deal, but still isn't going into a 2021, which everybody wants. So if a team is looking to impress a free agent, a marquee free agent, to show, hey, yeah, we're a good team, we know what we're doing, and if you want to keep a really good point guard around, we have one. He's been on our team for this past year. Come to us. 
I think that it'll be a very enticing trade value piece that that we have. And I think you could get maybe not a huge haul like the the Paul George's got in OKC and stuff like that, but you could still get quite a bit. And Masai Ujiri is known to swindle people in deals, and I think you could probably get way more than expected for a guy like Kyle Lowry. Yeah, given his numbers this this season, especially with you know the the injury that he sustained, it's still pretty good. Like he's still putting up good numbers. Uh, I'm not necessarily sure you're gonna get like uh, a high lottery pick. I don't I don't anticipate that, but it wouldn't surprise me if you were able to grab a first round pick and a body. Um, and the body might be insignificant. I don't know. I, I don't know. I don't know what kind of value other teams would have on sort of like the wrong side of thirty point guard. Um, but I do think Kyle Lowry is still able to play. I do think, I, I sort of agree with you on that notion that he probably will get moved. And that's probably to much of the dismay of a lot of Raptors fans because, in my opinion, he is the greatest Toronto Raptor of all time. It's not to say he's the greatest Raptor player of all time. I still think that's Kawhi Leonard. But in terms of the embodiment of what it means to be a Toronto Raptor, I do think Kyle Lowry is that guy. He's the. I think he'll be the guy whose number is retired first. Um, but you know, for the sake of the organization, you might see him moved. And depending on what other guys are retained or moved on from, uh, we could be looking at a pretty shitty 2020-2021 uh, season next year just for the sake of being able to nab one of those marquee free agents in the 2021 offseason. Yeah, it, like, it'll be interesting. And I have all the faith in the world that Masai Ujiri is going to do whatever it takes to, A, keep a competitive team on the court, or at least keep a interesting team on the court and, and give Raptors fans hope, and B, you know, be really good players in 2021 for agency, whether or not they get Giannis. Right. Yeah. And I do, I do think that, you know, given the fact that you know, the, I, I don't think the Raptors are alone in this sort of operation. I do think other teams are operating under the same philosophy. So you may be seeing other teams like take a step back as well just to clear cap space to pr- uh, prepare for that offseason. I don't think the Raptors are going to be alone in that aspect. So the 2020-2021 season might be one that's not really that entertaining. Yeah, I mean, it. you know, it. we'll see. The NBA, there's always storylines. So like, if anything, if the basketball for you know 40 50 percent of the teams isn't that great then you know you always know that there's the top end talent that's going to be there and you know that as soon as Giannis declines the extension if he does there's going to be talks from everybody every media outlet saying oh Giannis is coming to this team Giannis is going to the Knicks Giannis is going to the Raptors this this free agent from this team is going to the Raptors this free agent from this team is going here so like even if the basketball is bad Raptors fans will at least have some sort of intrigue with like oh what player this week is coming to our team yeah yeah imagine though imagine if the the conversation is Giannis is going to the Knicks like to me that's just like are you serious right now like yeah. then, come on he's not going to the Knicks come on <laughs> No, he's not. That's not happening. All right, <laughs> uh, let's put a pin on it there. We're going to take another quick bake break rather we'll be right back hang tight. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. <laughs> All right, let's talk about Terrence Davis. Uh, the dude had a tough game against the Blazers. It was tough to watch to the point where we only logged in eight minutes with guys like Stanley Johnson logging in 17 and a quarter. Uh, Nurse didn't leave it up to the imagination after the game saying that he was basically terrible and played five minutes too long, he being Terrence Davis. 
Uh, fast forward to the next day against Charlotte, he grabs a start and has a great performance, logging in just over 37 minutes compared to the eight the night before, shooting 50% from the field, 50% from deep, 23 points, 11 boards, 10 of which were defensive, five dimes, a steal, and a plus minus of plus 10. It's amazing what some fire from Nurse can do for a guy to the point where I kind of want him, you know, to wake me up every morning and tell me how bad I'm, how bad I am at life, and you know that will motivate me. So chop it up, man. Has something been unlocked, or was this just a circumstantial thing? Because remember, no Fred Van Vliet for this game. What do you, what do you say? Well, like, I think you have to, you have to think that Nick Nurse's comments were at least a little bit a part of Terrence Davis's kind of, I don't know, coming out party, coming out game kind of thing. Um, but you like to see Nick Nurse really, after kind of ripping into Terrence Davis, having the confidence to start him. I know obviously Fred Van Fleet wasn't playing, but going from, yeah, he was trash tonight to the very next day. Not He didn't have a practice to show off like, oh, he hit 100 straight threes in practice. I got to start him. It was the very next day. Obviously, Fred Van Fleet not playing, like I said, but like, you know, having the confidence to go out and say, hey, you have to be better. You just have to. You're going to you're starting now. There's nothing else that you have to. There's nothing else you can do but play well because you're you're starting NBA player now. And that's just and that's exactly what he did. And, you know, you saw him motivate uh, Rondé Hollis Jefferson, who has been a really big part of this team, especially with the injuries in the offseason, saying that he was basically useless on the defensive end, (laughs) which is why we picked him up. Um, But then again, you have to kind of look at who they were playing. Right, they're playing the Charlotte Hornets, who have one of the worst defenses in the entire NBA. And if you're going to get a start in the NBA, your very first start, I think the Charlotte Hornets is probably beneficial for everybody on your team. Oh, for sure. And you know, to, to not to shit all over the Hornets here, but they, they did keep it close, and it was a pretty tight game, especially in that fourth quarter, um, and and in overtime. But I do think that you know, given the fact that. You know, Terrence Davis the night before was terrible. And when anytime that you have a guy like Stanley Johnson playing in front of you, you got to understand, like, something's wrong. Like, something <laughs> is, is pretty wrong with my performance. And, you know, a lot of NBA players, this probably speaks to the maturity of Terrence Davis, right? Remember, this is another undrafted guy, right? And this is a guy that's getting his opportunities, showing other teams and the audience that, like, hey, I belong here. I should have been playing from the get-go. I should have been drafted, rather. Um... He's getting, he got a really good run against Charlotte, and it was a result of Nick Nurse, like, not pulling any punches. And I I don't know if Nurse is, like, the master of walking that fine line of just being completely open and transparent to the media, or that sort of having that coach beat gamesmanship that he wants to relate to his players. Like, it, it would not surprise me if Nurse said that to the media because he knew it would get back to Terrence Davis. And that's not to say that he didn't say this to his face. I'm sure he did. But having it spoke to the media on a, you know, on a platform that is wildly open to ridicule, especially on Twitter, um, most players, I think, would scoff at that and kind of walk away pissed off and not want to, like, prove him wrong just like sort of hold that as a grudge so uh, credit to Terrence Davis for being able to utilize that in a positive way and to be able to walk away from that and be like no I'm I'm motivated now I'm going to show him and I don't know if there was something said probably in between travel time but he was probably like yo coach let me prove it to you start me tomorrow and anytime that you have a guy like that if I'm Nick Nurse I'm like all right man like put up or shut up like it's I'm calling your bluff you're starting and it would not surprise me if that went down that way 
Yeah, and you know, looking at it, you got to think that Nick Nurse knows his players really well, and I think Nick Nurse has built really good relationships with all the guys uh, on the bench for the Raptors, whether they're playing or not. So, knowing what motivates his players um, is a you know is a very important skill to have as a coach, and being able to utilize it the way that he has thus far has been really impressive. And I think it just shows what kind of player Terrence Davis is. Obviously, he was undrafted, like you mentioned, kind of like what the Raptors are used to, right? With the lower draft picks coming out of the later first round or early second round, or even undrafted in in some cases. Like, I think they know that they're playing with a chip on their shoulder and the type of thing that you, you need to say to guys like that who haven't been or who have been doubted a little bit from the get-go, whether it's a four-year college player who went undrafted or a Pascal Siakam type who dropped really far in the first round, you have to motivate them in different ways than guys who have kind of been, I don't want to say babied their whole careers, but who have kind of been the man hmm. coming out of high school, coming out of college, and and being the first overall draft pick kind of thing. And And obviously Nick Nurse does that really, really well. How much do you think this is sustainable? Like I, we mentioned that the Charlotte Hornets, especially defensively, are not a tough team. Um, and, you know, you look at the stat line, I should correct myself, he was a plus 20, not a plus 10. But, you know, you look at the stat line, he tied uh, Serge Ibaka with the highest points on the team. He even tied Serge Ibaka's rebound total. He even out-rebounded him on the defensive end. And I know, like, you know, the... The, the launch angles and where the ball is landed after a shot on the defensive end isn't what it used to be. He's probably not nabbing those under the board, but still it is impressive when you see the stat line. How much do you think this is sustainable? Because like I said, we're going to have Norman Powell come back soon. Pascal Siakam's nearing a return. I don't know how long Fred Van Vliet's going to be out, but you got to probably anticipate that these limit, I mean, these minutes are going to be rather limited and he's probably not going to get as long of a run as he did against Charlotte. Yeah, in terms of sustainability, and this is, seems like kind of a cop-out answer, it's, it's just about his consistency right. to his game, right? Like, there's been games where he scores 19 points and then scores five the next game, or he goes for 15 in one game and then goes for four, or 13 and then goes for two. And it's just, if he can string together, even if it's just three or four really solid games here, then I think you have to give him at least some run in obviously not the starting lineup when all the guys are back and healthy and and back in the rotation but you've got to give him I think a decent amount of minutes in the rotation just because he's good on both ends he works really hard he tries he seems to be getting the offensive uh system really well and obviously the defensive system he's he's doing really well in it and that's just the type of guy that you'd like to see and even you know for fourth year players usually they don't look like NBA players right away or they don't look like contributors right away. That's been the opposite for Terrence Davis as a as a fourth year college guy who obviously I mentioned a couple times here undrafted. They don't look as comfortable as he has thus far and I think that is another thing that you can look at and say, yeah, you know what, we can throw him in and and keep him in there and at least not be a net negative while out on the floor and there's something to there's something to be said about that as a rookie who is really coming into a new system with all these injuries and not playing with the team's best guys, all this kind of stuff. So, you know, in terms of sustainability, um, his play I think is always going to be is always going to be good just because he 
always tries really hard. He is a relatively smart basketball player, and I think he's getting smarter as the games go on. He's really listening to Nick Nurse, and he's really listening to Norm Powell. I saw in the game uh, against Charlotte in overtime, Norm Powell was basically talking to him at every time, every blown whistle, every dead ball. Norm Powell was out there talking to Terrence Davis, and you can tell that he's really listening and and he's adding things to his game that he didn't have in his first game uh when they played the pelicans or or you know in boston the next night and all that kind of stuff like i do think that his play is sustainable and him being a rotation guy is sustainable you know you're not going to see 23 points from him every night but the minutes that he's out there are going to be solid minutes yeah and this is one of the rare cases that a preseason darling is actually blossom Right, like how how often have we seen someone in the preseason that were like, oh, watch out for this guy, and then like you never got <laughs> you know the opportunity to, to make a run at it. Uh, Terrence Davis has proven that he's a valuable asset for the team. I'm not sure that he's definitely like a, a bedrock player moving forward. I don't know yet. The sample size is just too small. Um, but in terms of whether or not this is sustainable, I think you're right. I think the consistency is you know I don't I don't consider that a cop out answer at all. I think that's pretty bang on and. You know, given the fact that he's probably not going to get upwards to 37 minutes again, unless there's another devastating injury, knock on death, that doesn't happen. But, <laughs> you know, when this team is fully healthy, it wouldn't surprise me if he hovers around the 13 to 15 minute mark. And, you know, if he can get you a couple of buckets, like 10 points a game, I think that's just fine. And I think that, you know, we're seeing what he can offer the team if there are moves to be made in the offseason. He's the guy that's, you know, retained and kept on the team. You know, he's sort of reliable in that aspect. Not necessarily in the consistency aspect. He's going to have his off games. But at least you have some sort of confidence that you can put him out there and he's not just going to shit the bed. Like, he will be a pretty decent player for you. I'm not saying he's a world beater. I'm not saying that he can go toe-to-toe with, like, LeBron or anything. But he's definitely someone that you have a little bit more confidence in than, say, maybe a Stanley Johnson or at this point maybe a Matt Thomas I don't know but he's definitely someone that's giving you a glimmer of hope to say okay we have some sort of stability for our future yeah and we talk about this a lot as Raptors fans where like Masai Ujiri finds a diamond in the rough at it seems like every single draft that he has ever done for the Toronto Raptors and you know it's way too early to say oh Terrence Davis is the next diamond in the rough he's going to be the next Fred Van Fleet mm. for the Raptors or the next OG Ananobi or whatever, whatever you are going to compare him to. But, you know, his numbers are good. 7.2 points, 3.2 rebounds, 1.9 assists is, you know, like you said, not a world beater, not the greatest numbers in the world, but it's a really good start. We got to remember it's his first year in the league, right? So, you know, obviously he's not going to, and who knows, I could be totally wrong, but he's not going to make the developments that a Pascal Siakam has made or, and maybe not even what OG Ananobi has done thus far this season. But, you know, you see competence from a player. You have to like that because there's a lot of guys in the NBA who are amazing on one end. Don't give two shits about what happens on the, on the other end or are really good defensively worst offensive player in basketball. This is a good in between on both ends. And he, he's just a competent player. He knows what he's doing out there. I think what's awesome about these diamond of the rough players that you mentioned is that the anticipation and the, you know, the expectations were rather low 
say for a guy like maybe OG Ananobi, right? Because he was highly touted before his injury in college. So um, when you look at a Fred Van Vliet, when you look at a Pascal Siakam, when you look at a Terrence Davis, those are relatively unknown players, right? When they made their debut, like the expectations were so low, no one thought that they were going to be world beaters. No one thought that they were going to be as impactful as they were. Right, that this goes for the draft grade that Ujiri got when they drafted Pascal Siakam. It was people were dumbfounded. Like, what do you see in this kid? Well, we're seeing the most improved player in the game. Um, same thing with Fred Van Vliet. No one probably thought he would get a Finals MVP nod, and he did. He got a, a vote, but still, it's it's something to talk about. He, you know, made Steph Curry his child during <laughs> during the uh, during the finals. So. You don't know what the ceiling is for Terrence Davis right now. I'm not saying at all, and you said it too, that he's going to be this guy that's going to match them. But having the expectations rather low for a guy like this and seeing a performance like that definitely lights you up and definitely makes you think, oh, okay, maybe this guy can be something. Because if that right there is his ceiling, no, he's not an all-star. But that's still some stability that you can have off the bench that you can rely on. And if there's some guy that's injured, if he can tap into that for his ceiling, we're in good shape. Yeah, and every 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 player need or every player every team needs a good, you know, ninth man, eighth man, tenth man, seventh man, whatever whatever Terrence Davis becomes, you know, he's at least going to be a solid whatever his role is. That's just that's just what it is. As long as you don't expect him to be putting up 20-something points a night and seven assists and 10 rebounds or whatever, then your expectations should pretty much be met at each game. And, you know, obviously there's going to be some games where he's worse and there's going to be some games where he's better, but it just seems that Terrence Davis is going to be a solid player. And, you know, he looks like a guy who fits in into this league a lot better than a lot of players have so far this season. For sure. And uh, I think the, the future is bright. And like I said, I don't know that he's necessarily going to reach all-star status, but you definitely can look to the future of Terrence Davis and be a little bit more comfortable than you would have you know, before the season started. We're seeing something in him that is uh, encouraging. So take that for what you will. But with that, we're going to take another break. We will be right back to talk about uh, DeMar's return. Hang tight. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. All right, like I mentioned at the top of the show, we are recording this Saturday afternoon. So for us, tomorrow, DeMar DeRozan makes his second return to Toronto for a game. Um, I touched on this on a previous podcast. I'm not sure which one, so forgive me. But uh, we can unpack it a bit more here because it was brief before. Um, Simply put, is this something that's always going to be a thing? Or did we get the closure last year when he made his return and we can sort of move on from it? Obviously, he's going to get a standing ovation. This, you know, fan base will never forget the contributions of DeMar DeRozan. He's sort of a Raptors legend in that respect. But in terms of having this overwhelming standing ovation, uh, is this something that's always going to be a thing? Or is this something that we can sort of move on from? Um... You know what? I think I think it is going to be a thing. Um, I know I'm going to be at the game tomorrow night, so I know for damn sure I'm going to be I'm going to be um, not as emotional as I was last year for the game, but I'm going to be there and I'm going to give him a standing ovation. I'm going to be happy to see him return home. But you know, I think as long as it is a big moment for him, it's going to be a big moment for Raptors fans as well because the emotional connection between you know Demar Derozan and the Toronto Raptors fans, and you know what everything that he did for the organization being the real first star to really want to stay in Toronto his whole career um Raptors fans aren't going to forget that and you know I think a lot of Raptors fans as as happy as they were for 
the Raptors winning the championship with Kawhi. They obviously would have much rather have done it with DeMar DeRozan. Obviously, that was never going to happen just because of what DeMar DeRozan is in the NBA in this day and age. But I think, you know, he's always going to be a, a a Raptor for life and he's always going to be a guy attached to the city. And I think every time he comes to the building, it's going to be overwhelmingly positive. And I think it does also help that he is only playing in Toronto once a year. Um with the San Antonio Spurs. I don't know if throughout the rest of his career, he he moves on to an Eastern Conference team where he then plays twice a year and then potentially playoffs. But, you know, the the Raptors fans are going to love him through and through pretty much for his the rest of his career. I don't disagree. And I don't want to, you know, give off the, the impression that I am tired of it, that I am, you know, seeing no reason for this because I do think that DeMar DeRozan is one of those special players in, in the history of the Toronto Raptors that you just can't ignore when he comes back. Like, and I'm not saying you have to do a video tribute for him every time. I don't anticipate that. It really kind of wouldn't surprise me. Um, I, I think that when, correct me if I'm wrong, they've done quite a bit of video tributes this year. Um, did Terrence Ross get one? Uh, I don't know if he got one this year. Lou Williams did, didn't he? Yeah, Lou Will did, which that couldn't have been his first time back in Toronto. Like, no that, way. Yeah, there's no way. So I don't like. I yeah, I don't know. They'll definitely do something for Demar. They'll probably do the same intro that he that he got when he was in Toronto, just because that'll everyone knows the fans will get excited for that. They'll probably do a a sign on the big screen saying welcome back tomorrow or something like that but i'd be shocked if they did a a whole video tribute especially with that how big and grand the one was for his first return last season yeah everything's sort of blurred together and i'm not sure if this was this year or last year casey get another one this year i don't think he did no i don't think so all right um but I know they've been like tapping into the to the Raptors old school, the retro jerseys and stuff. So they're sort of revisiting these these tributes and whatnot. So would it surprise me if there was like a short little tribute to Jamar DeRozan? No, it wouldn't surprise me. I don't think it's going to be as uh, long and robust as last year's because last year the immediacy of the situation and you know the sort of impact of the situation over the summer um, definitely you know people were anticipating that game his return. Um, but this year it. Yes, he's going to get standing ovations. Yes, the the crowd's going to anticipate his return, but I don't know that the emotion be- behind the situation is as strong as it was last year, simply because we won the championship. And again, this is not taking anything away from DeMar's contributions. It's not taking it away from anything from his place in Raptors history. But I do think that there is a sense in the fan base of moving on. Like Again, I do think there's going to be a show of appreciation, but I'm not sure that the emotions are running as high or nearly as high as they were last year when he made his return. Would you agree? Oh, yeah, 100%. Like, you know, if the Raptors maybe didn't win the championship last season, the fan base is probably more like, oh, I wish we still had DeMar DeRozan because now we didn't get a championship. We didn't get this and and Kawhi's gone. And now we have nothing from that season. But with the championship there, obviously there's the emotions that, you know, oh, you know, we feel bad for DeMar DeRozan for not being here for that. But at the same time, he's the reason the Raptors got Kawhi Leonard. And so you can look at it that way and have a fondness for him in that sense because you're like oh you know what if we didn't have DeMar DeRozan and if he wasn't here we never win that championship anyway so he is a really big part of it and you know the the emotion's always going to be there like I said it's just 
it's just inherent for Toronto Raptors fans to have love for DeMar DeRozan. There was not a sour ending. DeMar DeRozan didn't leave in free agency. He didn't go to a, you know, 73 and nine win team, the team that beat us in the playoffs. He went to, he went to a team that got, that gave us a player who won us a championship and he was very upset for leaving Raptors fans and any sports fan. If you're a fan of a team, if, if the most beloved player that happens to them. You saw it with Isaiah Thomas in Boston. Hmm. You see it with that. You, the team's always going to love him. The fan base is always going to love him. The players that played with him are always going to respect that. And, you know, it is a business. Fans know that. Players know that. But it's always hard to see a player like that go, and especially when he's so beloved. And, you know, he's going to get his jersey retired at some point. That's a given. Um, it's just a matter of whenever he retires and whenever he's gone. But, you know, it it's a big thing. And seeing him with Kyle Lowry is one of my favorite things ever so like that'll be really fun i wonder if kyle lowry will be inclined to turn heel again and to like strip the ball <laughs> away from him for a game winner um but, I, you know, I hope so yeah i hope so that'll mean it'll be an exciting game it'd be awesome it'd be awesome to <laughs> see it twice like or or if the opposite happens and derozan like gives like sort of a kind of a nudge <laughs> foul and it's non-call and he wins the game like something dramatic would be great yeah. just for the hell of it um but you know you bring up a good point like there are certain players in in any favorite team that you have so like we can you and i can examine like the blue jays and the raptors right now um i have a ton of old baseball jerseys when it comes to the blue jays like i i have a brett laurie jersey i have a kevin pillar jersey uh i i have quite a bit of, of blue jay stuff and i look at that and even some jerseys like i have a, a russell martin jersey um I have a Jose Bautista jersey, and out of all that merchandise, the only one that I feel comfortable wearing out and not feel like a complete tool is Jose <laughs> Bautista, right? Because there is this sort of legendary status that will never die with Jose Bautista as a Toronto Blue Jay. The same thing with like the Raptors. Like I, I have a Vince Carter jersey. I don't feel weird rocking that if you know when I do. I have a DeMar DeRozan jersey. I don't feel weird rocking that. Same thing with the jersey. I don't feel weird rocking these players because they have legendary status, and I think that's what separates from the pack. Because if I had a Terrence Ross jersey, I'd feel weird wearing that today. <laughs> like you know, I, I'd feel straight. If I had a Damari Carroll jersey, I'd be like, why am I even wearing? This? Like I donated somewhere, but you know, Demar Derozan, it, he's one of these players that like you can rep with pride because he repped Toronto with pride. Like he repped the team so well and so, with so much uh, passion that he's the kind of player that you want to stick around in legendary status in your organization or for your favorite team rather and uh, I do think anytime he does make his return to the Toronto Raptors where whether it's as a Raptor his final year that he plays in the NBA I don't know that's certainly a possibility or for, for an opposing team there will always be love for DeMar DeRozan in the city of Toronto and it makes you wonder like we called back to what I said earlier for me I think Kyle Lowry is the greatest Raptor of all time. I think his number is going to be the first to retire, no matter who retires in what order. Um, what do you think? Do you think DeMar DeRozan's the guy that's going to get his jersey retired first, or is this sort of like a futile conversation and whatever happened? The order doesn't necessarily matter. Where do you stand? Yeah, I, I don't know if the order really matters, and it, they could very well be retired together. The The friendship that they have and, and what they did with the Raptors was really, you know, they did it, together it wasn't that you know they just overlapped for the last two years or they just overlapped for one season mm. you know everything that happened was built up by those two and built around those two so i if it were me i would retire them together especially like it's not just that they were 
two really good players on the same team um, for a few years. It was that they were quite obviously like they were best friends. So I think not only would it be a special moment for Raptors fans, I think it would also be a special moment for them being able to share it with one another. Um, but if I were to do it, um, if I had to choose one or the other, I think it goes Lowry, then DeRozan. But like I said, I would do both at the same time. I think that is by far the best answer I've heard. Right. And like, because anytime we've, I've had this conversation and it does come up quite a bit, people always focus on the order. Right. And people are always like, well, who meant more to the organization? Who was more impactful? And I get that. Like, that is the, the knee jerk impulse. I totally understand it. I'm not hating on it. But to me, I've never even considered that to be a possibility of them just waiting together. And that now that you put it out there in the universe, that makes absolutely the most sense possible. And I really hope that's what happens. Yeah, I think I think it would be special for both of them and the organization as a whole because they're they are what built up to the winning culture of the Toronto Raptors and forever forever how long that winning culture stands within the organization is is going to be started no matter what that winning culture first started with DeMar DeRozan and Kyle Lowry and you know that they were the first two really to give Raptors fans hope. obviously Vince Carter but that ended sour and I don't think I think no matter what happens the the Kyle Lowry and DeMar DeRozan Indians can't go sour just because of what they've done for the city and what they've done for the organization and how much the organization knows that they mean to fans it's perfect so now anybody that's listening myself included um and you can do it if you want to but we're representing you here Anytime you see a conversation on Twitter about whose number should be retired first, you say both at the same time in quotations with a dash, Hunter Surplus of Raptors Rapture. I think that is uh, the, the way to go. So you own this now forever. Um, I love that. I love right. that. <laughs> Perfect. All right. Uh, let's, let's take our final break here. We'll come back with the two sweet moment of the week. Hang tight. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. <laughs> It's time for the two sweet moment of the week here on the South of the Six podcast. All right, seeing as though that you made the the amazing choice to have their numbers both retired first, uh, I'm going to let you go first. What is your two sweet moment of the week this week for the Toronto Raptors? Uh, I think it's got to be uh, Kyle Lowry's post-game interview after the <laughs> win in Charlotte. <laughs> um, just because it was hilarious. Uh, there wasn't really a whole lot going on in either of the two games that really stood out to me um, a ton. Um, and like, I just think that it was it was funny. I don't think anybody still knows who he was That's what I'm saying. Uh, impersonating, but it was, it was hilarious nonetheless. Whether you know who it is or not, it was hilarious. I showed this to my buddy at work. He's a huge Celtics fan, obviously, because where I live, but... I was showing it to him like, dude, you got to see this. Like Kyle Lowry's trolling the media right now with cliches and stuff. He's (laughs) looking at it. He's like, you know, funny enough, this is exactly what Paul Pierce sounded like after every game. And I'm like, (laughs) I don't know that he's trolling Paul Pierce, but if he is, I'm all for it. I'm here for that all day. Absolutely. Um, My two sweet moment of the week, I'm going to take the easy way out. I I picked Terrence Davis's performance against the Hornets. I just think that bounce back. We talked about it ad nauseum here already. But, you know, seeing the determination and seeing the the maturity of him in that performance after Nick Nurse calling him out, it's got to be too sweet for me. And uh, I I definitely, I didn't even consider the Kyle Lowry interview, and now I'm regretting that choice. So props to you once (laughs) again for making the correct choice here. Thank you. Thank you. All right, let's uh, let's get in some game predictions and we can wrap this up here. So we got four games on tap. As I mentioned, we are recording this Saturday afternoon. So we'll start with Sunday with DeMar's second return versus San Antonio. 
in Toronto. It looks like we'll have Norman Powell back, so knock on desk that happens. San Antonio is five of their last ten. Uh, they had a pretty decent showing, and I say pretty decent, you know, tongue-in-cheek here. Pretty good uh, performance against the Celtics this past week. What say ye against San Antonio on Sunday? Uh, I think I think they're going to lose against San Antonio. DeRozan's been really good the past five or six games, and I think being in Toronto is going to even going to make that even more impressive for him. He's going to want to come out on fire. So you think he's going to get his revenge and catch a W in Toronto? Yeah, that's it. Yeah, that's what I think. All right, I have this as a win for the Raptors. I, I think they're playing with determination. Uh, I think having Norman Powell back will really expand things a little bit for them. So I'm going to have to disagree with you there. But uh, they take uh, two days off after that. And Wednesday, they go to OKC. OKC is eight of their last 10. Uh, that game against OKC earlier this year was frustrating. I'm calling this an, a loss for the Raptors. What about you? Yeah, I, you know, I was kind of harping on them earlier, saying that they're going to win basically outright in January and February. But uh, I'm going to go another loss here. OKC is a really tough place to play for a lot of teams a lot of places a lot of players say that you know they've one of the best crowds in the league and now they're they're really hot and chris paul is playing the way that he is and shay gildress alexander he's gonna be playing against uh his you know kind of home team in toronto raptors and i you know that'll be a tough game to to play and with all the injuries i think this one's gonna be a loss as well yeah shay was just awesome uh, before and you know but the, the the light at the end of the tunnel here is we may have pascal siakam for this one so Keep your eyes open for that one. Uh, Friday, first night of the back-to-back against the Wizards. I think this is what we were talking about earlier, though, when shit starts to ease up. Uh, Wizards are five of the last ten in Toronto. I'm calling this a win, no doubt. Yeah, uh, they're gonna. it's going to be a win, probably a high-scoring game as well, but okay. a win nonetheless. Saturday, they travel to Minnesota. Again, Minnesota is five of their last ten. I don't care about the travel. I don't care about the back-to-back. I think Toronto's going to take this one, too, win. Yeah, I agree with that. Minnesota is a horrible defensive team. I don't know if Carl Anthony Towns is going to be back by then. Whether or not he is, I don't think really matters for the Timberwolves. They're going to lose that game against the Raptors. And you got to think by then, if Pascal doesn't come back for Wednesday's game, one of Friday or Saturday, he should be good to go. Yeah, and presumably he'll be back for that home game and then maybe we'll sit out that Saturday game depending on how his how he feels after that first game, but he'll they'll probably they'll probably play it a little slow here just because of how light the schedule is. Right. And, you know, given the fact that obviously this is just pure speculation, I haven't read or heard anything about this, but this is just my intuition saying that, you know, Fred Van Vliet is a grinder. I'm sure this is killing him not being able to play. Really wouldn't surprise me if he makes an appearance of one of these four games, Um, probably the last of them, but it really wouldn't surprise me if we see him back in action this week. Yeah. And I, I saw that. I, well, I don't know if this is legit, but my fantasy, I got a notification earlier, uh, Actually, like, you know, five minutes ago that Norman Powell's status changed from doubtful to healthy. So oh. now I got to. Yeah. So put him in your he'll lineup. Be, he'll be he should be back for the for the Spurs game and then the rest of the week, which definitely helps out the Raptors. All right. Well, there you go. So you have them splitting. You have them two wins out of the four games. I haven't taken them three out of the four. Uh, regardless, still, if you want to take a, a, a 500 this week, that's fine, too. I think they're they're in good shape for the rest of the way. Um, so there you go. Uh, everybody can anticipate DeMar DeRozan coming back tomorrow. And then, uh, these last, 
three games of the week, they should be at least entertaining. I'm keeping my eye out on that OKC game, but otherwise it should be smooth sailing for the Raptors. But that's going to do it for today's show. Hunter, I appreciate you coming on. You know the deal. Promote any and everything you got going on where people can find you on Twitter. The floor is yours, my man. All right, guys. Well, you can find me on Twitter at H underscore surplus. It's hard to it's hard to find, hard to spell, but I'm sure you guys can find you're smart enough. Adam will tag it on, on Twitter at some point, so just click that button and give me a follow. I talk Raptors. I talk not Raptors as well, but give me a follow. Um, I write for Raptors Rapture. I'm the host of the Raptors Rapture podcast, so if you want to hear me talk more Raptors, you can go listen to that, subscribe, rate, review, all that fun stuff. And then obviously go to raptorsrapture.com. You can, if you just want to hear, uh, just want to read what I write, you can search in the search bar, Hunter Surplus, and you can find me there. So that's it for me. The links to all of that will be the in the description of the show. So if you don't want to do any sort of investigation, just tap on the artwork of the show. It will bring you right to the description. You can you're just a click away from Hunter's work, the writing, the podcast, the Twitter, all of it. So. Highly encourage the subscription, highly encourage the follow, and uh, Hunter, I think next week I'm going to be on your show. I'm going to be on the Raptors Rapture podcast. Yes, you are. So there you go. So stay tuned for that. So uh, this will, you can, you know, I guess consider this part one of Hunter and I's uh, (laughs) investigation to the Raptors, but otherwise I appreciate you coming on, man, and until next week, take it easy. Absolutely, man. That's always fun to have, fun to be on. Thank you for listening to the South of the Six podcast. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter and Instagram at South of the Six and subscribe to our show. We're on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Spotify. Yeah, we're everywhere. While you're at it, if you liked what you heard, do us a solid and leave us five stars and a quick review. We appreciate it. Thanks again. Go Jays and Raptors.